Welcome to Rerun, the podcast where we talk about our favorite episodes of iconic, amazing, wonderful television shows. I'm Dori Shafrir of BuzzFeed, and today with me I have Jenna Wortham, staff writer for the New York Times Magazine and just amazing all-around person. <laughs> Hi, Jenna. Hi, Dori. On Rerun, we have the guests choose the show and episode that they want to talk about, and today Jenna chose... <laughs> <laughs> I chose Eon Flux. Eon Flux. Let's talk about Eon Flux. I watched the episode that she sent me, which was the pilot. Mm -hmm. It is just under 12 minutes long. Mm -hmm. I had no fucking idea what was going on pretty much the whole time. Um, (laughs) And like reading about it didn't really help Mm -mm. at all. So Jenna, <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> um, first of all, tell me what the show was and okay. why you chose it. I chose Eon Flux because it was very formative to my tiny brain when I first came across the show as a little child. In 1981. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I came across it in real time. I think okay. I came across it when it was, I actually have no vague, I have no idea. Like I don't even, just like you had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. I barely even knew what the show was. I would just hear the music start to play and like run to the closest TV and be like, there's that weird show again. Um, but as someone who was spending a lot of time on the internet, a lot of time in weird chat rooms and forums and, you know, really exploring the early contours of the internet, this spoke to me because it was just so weird and so unlike anything else I'd ever seen online or on TV. And so I became very fascinated with it right away. And I didn't really, it was hard to find out information about it. Like I didn't know, like I would try to Google it and you would only find these threads in weird chat rooms where other people would be like, what the hell is this show? And so I kind of liked that discovery. And I and I don't think there's been, I mean, everything now with TV is such a big event and mm-hmm. such a big moment that there really isn't anything so unknowable or mysterious about TV. So that's, that's kind of why I loved it. And that's why I chose it because I feel like it has this cult and very particular following that's kind of been forgotten, mm-hmm. um, but it's all available online, so people should all go and watch it. But I, I wanted to talk about it because it, it stands out for its visual style, which is so specific and unique, and the fact that there is very little linear progression, and the narrative makes absolutely no sense, like especially in this pilot that you watched. I mean, there's an, there's a part of it where Eon, the main character, keeps dying over and over again. And it makes no sense. Like, what the hell? Why is she dying? Is that is she a robot? Is she a clone? Is it gonna, you know? But and it's an animated show. And it's an animated show, yeah. And so the visual style is like very grotesque. It's very like fetishy, like BDSM. It's like kind of gross, but also like turns you on. And I was like a baby pervert, and so I was spending all my time in chat rooms, like catfishing people and sending them pictures of my older sisters and saying it was me and like typing in like want a cyber without even knowing what that. Meant. So it very much spoke to my like budding sexual self, which was like confused. Age, (laughs) sex, location. (laughs) Yeah, that was my life at that time. It was like 12 or whatever. And um, so it was just very, and it was just different from so many of the other shows that were on. I was watching a lot of Saved by the Bell and like Martin and then Living Color. And it just had this kind of rawness to it that was very out of touch for the era. So it was on late on MTV. Right. Okay. So this pilot was actually not a pilot episode. It was split into very small chunks that were cut in between episodes of a show called Liquid Television that aired on MTV, I guess, in the 90s. That was really crazy raw sketch comedy. There were these like, you know, puppets. There was weird... 
like stick figure animation. It was just, it was, I've actually gone back and watched the rest of Liquid Television and Eon Flux is by far like the best thing on it really. And the rest of it is just so, it's crazy to think that was on, that was actually on a, a network, like a major network. Mm -hmm. um, but Eon Flux kind of aired in these sort of very, very, very small chunks spread out uh, among the show. And it was, I think it was presented as part of the showcase in the same way. It would just be like the weird intro with the weird circadian, like slithery sounding music. And then the eyeball with the fly, which was the signature title credit, which was like this kind of eye rolled back in its head and like the eyelashes catch as a fly. And it was like creepy and weird, but that's how you knew the show was coming on. Should we listen to some of that, that music? Music. Yeah. So we see a fly crawling up this yeah like a face into a rolled back and they had eyeball and then eon captures the fly like a venus flytrap in her, her eyelashes. eyelashes and her eyeball rolls around to look at it yeah super cool and then it launches into this weird you know you get battle sense, yeah like a strange battle you get the sense that there's some sort of war happening or some sort of attack and pretty much every episode is sort of about this. And you kind of get the, you start to understand that there is this, there are these warring nations that are in constant battle with one another. And it didn't become clear to me until years later when Wikipedia became a thing, what was actually going on and I could read about it. But mm -hmm. Eon Flux is part of one um, resistance or one nation. And she's constantly trying to infiltrate and sabotage this other warring nation um, she's from a town called Monica, which is right next sort of, I think it's Bregna or something like that. And she's trying to, well, they're both very oppressive, very dystopian, very somewhere far in the futuristic world. You know, these two societies that are in constant battle with one another. And that's pretty much all you ever find out. I mean, there really isn't, it's not clear if Eon's necessarily good or she's bad and she's, um, always interacting with Trevor Goodchild, who is a scientist and a politician of Bregna, who's always like doing these weird experiments on the people. And then he becomes a politician and kind of a dictator. And you would think that they're enemies, but they're not. They actually are lovers at some point. There's one really weird episode where they, oh, it's, it's, it's so difficult to even explain what's ever happening in an Eon Flux episode. And really, you just have to go to YouTube and find it and watch it. And like, just try to figure it out for yourself but there's it's all, this it's all on youtube it's all on youtube at this point and it, there's three seasons and the first season the pilot um doesn't make sense because like i said it was kind of cut up into these really 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 short um episodes that were kind of interspersed between liquid television and then i think people like the show so much mtv gave peter chung the creator a proper slot on mtv and so he created two slightly more structured seasons that do have dialogue and do have a little bit more of a flow in terms of episode to episode and so you can get a better sense of what's going on and there's even like a pretty well i think it's good but hardcore fans don't like the the movie but there's a 2005 movie with Charlize Theron um that I think actually is kind of tight I thought it was really really good they got all the fashion and like a little bit of the style down um and but the plot is pretty weird and not really that true to the show so I don't know it, but that's also on Netflix so you can watch it and decide for yourself tell me more about Eon because she's this kind of like sexy badass yeah she totally is Eon does whatever she wants she doesn't have anyone that she appears to be answering to her motives are purely um selfish she does whatever she wants when she wants to take trevor as a lover she does she kind of sabotages different things but she's also just very curious about what's happening in bregna and kind of investigates and sort of kills at will and there's something really just like 
sensual. I mean, I keep, I can't, I can't express enough how like weirdly sexy this show was and how strange it was that this like hideous cartoon was also really sexy, but she's on these self-motivated missions constantly and is always doing what she wants. And it's also this weird commentary on Mm. political regimes and oppression in general. Like Eon's goal isn't actually to end the war, whatever the war is, because then she would have no roles like a revolutionary. Like that's her, you know, she's not really interested in how the bigger scheme of things plays out. She's just sort of, she likes the freedom and the role that she plays. And she really has no interest in changing it. Now that is Trevor. And that's why it's like hard to sort of assign any more moralistic qualities to either of them. They're just like these two strange and bizarre characters that live within this very well-constructed world. And that's what makes this show kind of interesting to watch and also really rare for any kind of TV show. Mm -hmm. Well, and I don't think it's reading into it too much to say, you know, 1991 was this time of great political upheaval. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of had the end of the Cold War. Right. And enemies, quote unquote, were becoming more nebulous. Right. You know, for decades the Soviet Union had been the enemy. Right. And now all of a sudden everything was like topsy-turvy. And it was sort of around the time that um, like Kurt Cobain was becoming a big deal and like smells like teen spirit and this kind of very anarchist kind of like fuck the establishment feeling like that was kind of filtering down to me a little bit as well. And actually Peter Chung, you know, in preparation for this, I was like, oh, has he ever given any interviews? Because I don't know very much about him. And there's like one interview he gave to like, an Eon Flux fan community on LiveJournal. Like, that's like, what? (laughs) And he expressed that he'd been working on Rugrats for Nickelodeon, which is really weird. If you watch that show, you can kind of see some similarities in the grotesqueness of the animation. And he was really frustrated by the format. And he wanted to make something that was you know, psychologically complex and you could kind of watch over and over again and, and pick up new things every, you know, reviewing. And I think that really is also just really interesting too, that he wanted to make something that was so counterintuitive to what else was on television at the time that was actually and to me that appeals to me too and I I keep trying to compare it to Snapchat because I feel like it's sort mm. of the, the most comparable experience to Snapchat that I've ever seen in like a TV format in the sense that you would just get thrown into a scene and you would try to figure out within a few seconds what was going on and most of the time you were like well I don't know but that was entertaining and I don't know TV's just not like that anymore and it also came at this really interesting time for MTV mm-hmm. where they were still showing a lot of music videos. Mm-hmm. They hadn't, I think, Real World started in 92. Mm-hmm. So it was before Real World. Right. They had a lot of programming space to they fill. They did. They did. And, you know, you can just see some executive being like, sure, whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just like throw it on late at night because we have airspace to fill. And I, I think I kind of caught it later. Like, so I, I was not watching it in real time, but I was definitely catching it where they would just throw it on like late at night. And I was a night owl as a kid, just like would stay around in my room, listening to music with the TV on low, like coloring or whatever, chatting online. And they would, it would just like come on and you'd be like, what the hell is this? And I would like get a little notebook out and take notes to try to like figure out what is this show. And that was a big part of it to me too, just that it was this kind of, you had to really catch it and no mm. one, it was sort of also like a litmus test to figure out like who knew about this show and like, were you into it? And did you think it was cool? Or did you think it was weird? And that was kind of like an early indicator for me was to be like, do you know about Eon Flux? And are you into it? Because if you're into it, then we're going to be homies. If not, we might be cool, but that says something about you to me. Yeah, because it, it it used to be harder to find weird stuff. So if you had found something weird and you were into something weird, 
it was more difficult to find that community and have that shared experience of talking about it and processing it. Right. So, you know, you always felt like you were alone in your weird obsessions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think discovery of anything new is just really hard these days because chances are like everyone's already seen it or like, you know, if you want to watch TV, you have it, you have very much in mind um, an idea of what you're going to watch. You're going to watch, we were talking about Mr. Robot, like you're going to go watch Mr. Robot and like Amazon Prime or you're going to like um, go watch Unreal because everyone's been talking about it. And so it's just these very scheduled prescriptive events and I don't know. I kind of love that this just wasn't that, you know, and even I remember when I was little, like the Simpsons, you know, it's like, did you see last night's Simpsons? And so that these, those were also these very predictable events that we would sort of, you would watch and then you would talk about it in school or like Living Color was like a big deal with my sisters and we weren't allowed to watch it, but they would like get it, you know, make sure they could see it. And then like, so they could talk about it at school and like be cool. And um, this was just so outside of the realm of that. I mean, the experience was just meant to be so disorienting and like they didn't really care if you got it or not. And I think that is so rare and unique. And I just can't imagine existing now except on something like Snapchat, which I keep bringing it back to you. But I was I've been I'm really into Snapchat. And so this sort of feeling of being airdropped into something where you just you're just along for the ride, I think, is a really, really valuable um, framework and tool for entertainment. And so there's nothing like that. How do you produce content on Snapchat? Oh, God. Um, I'm getting weirder and weirder. Like, I, I'm sort of, I mean, I have a secret Snapchat handle that's not my regular, you know, social media handle. So, like, I feel like I have a little more freedom. What is it, not, Jenna? No one will ever know. <laughs> I mean, if you're in my contact list, you can probably find me. But, I mean, I try to do weird yeah, like weird little visual feasts where you like are like, yeah, it's actually it's very influenced by Influx now that I think about it. But I'm always sort of I was at a um, Gucci Mane art show and there was um, someone had rigged like an old school like 80s or 90s TV to just show um, like the Gucci logo, like in tribute to Gucci Mane, the rapper. And I was just like zooming in and out on that just like over and over again, over and over again. Or like I'll see like a weird light show and just like you know, focusing on that. And I always look at who's watched my Snapchats and it's like Evan Spiegel, who's the founder of Snapchat, my mom, um, and like my sister. It's like the weirdest mix of people or like, you know, a few random friends. I'm like, what do they think? Like, I'm not like, they must think I'm like always on acid or something. Cause it's like the weirdest like glimpses of things, but I'm trying, I guess I'm just trying to experiment with this idea of what does visual content look like when it doesn't have a very predictable narrative structure. And that's not mm -hmm. something that I get to do as a writer, really. Well, and Snapchat is similar in a way to this type of content because mm -hmm. you're not, you can't get feedback on it. Right, it, right. Like within the app, it's not like people are comment, can comment on your Snapchat. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, you, you just imagine Peter Chung like putting this out into the world, being like, well, I did. I looked up this interview that he did with the Weird Live Journal community, and he had this quote that I wanted to read you about his point in creating the show the way he did. And he said, For me, the point of any artistic expression lies in its capacity to shift the viewer's consciousness to a perspective outside of the usual patterns, which just like blew my mind. And I think that's why I grew up to be this kind of like I'm, you know, a little bit of a weirdo. Like I like to meditate a lot. Like I'm always interested in things that are a bit subversive and on the edge. And I feel like that show did that for me mm -hmm. <laughs> in a weird way where it kind of got me very, very curious about things that were unusual and unexpected. I mean, it was clearly super influential yeah. for a lot of things for you. Yeah. And I want to make a show like I've been um, writing like a little bit of a 
strange like post-apocalyptic futuristic journey between these of these two girls and like when i've image i'm writing it out but then i visualize it and i'm like it so has to be like on flux it has to be in these like 30 second or maybe a little like 90 second little like you know bursts bursts where the visual style is just like you see it and you're like what was that and like where are these girls going and there's like no dialogue and it's like kind of under like threads below like all the stuff that I do now I feel like that's like beyond writing so I'm just like constantly thinking about that show and kind of how it made you want to know more without like ever giving you too much Mm -hmm. do you think your show would be animated also oh yeah 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 totally absolutely well is there anything else about this show or you know how it's influenced you that you want to touch on I don't know. I mean, I guess I really wonder if there's if there's room for I mean, where would anything like this live now? I mean, I feel like there's it would just live on YouTube. It would have to live on YouTube. Yeah. But I feel like even now I'm not even sure the aesthetic would appeal to people. Like I'm not even sure mm. if it's something that would resonate. Right. Going back and watching it. I have a DVD of it. I got a DVD to yard sale a few years ago and it's like a collector's item. It's like all these, you know, uncut like director's episodes and all three seasons and like interviews and stuff and I I have had it for years and I can't watch it because I don't have a tv or a dvd player (laughs) so (laughs) I just like have this thing that's like a very 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 important artifact to me that I've never been able to access (laughs) so if anyone out there has a dvd player that's hooked up to a large screen television that wants to have an eon flux viewing party get at me because i'm into it and i would love to see what's on these discs like i don't even know yeah i feel like we could make that happen for you john okay i'd like for it to happen okay cool (laughs) um thank you for coming on thanks dory so if you like rerun we would be super appreciative if you would give us a rating and or a review on iTunes. Rerun has a Twitter handle, which is at Rerun. We don't tweet a ton, but we tweet important stuff. So, you know, follow us. And we come out every other Monday. So look for us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Dory, D-O-R-E-E. Or you can check me out on BuzzFeed. And Jenna is at Jenny Deluxe on Twitter. And if you are not reading her column in the New York Times Magazine, get on that right away. Rerun is produced by the BuzzFeed Pod Squad, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Eleanor Kagan, Julia Furlan, and Meg Kramer. Thanks, guys. <laughs>